Welcome to New Wineskins, a podcast dedicated to helping your church discover fresh perspectives for the 21st century. In each episode, we take time to dialogue with pastors and church staff, lay leaders and experts who bring new ideas and fresh perspectives to support your local church. Now, our host for this program is Dr. Tony Brooks, field strategist for the Baptist General Association of Virginia. Tony's vision for this broadcast is to help you increase your ministry effectiveness, to engage your community, and fulfill your calling in the context of your local culture. Well, we believe that today's episode is going to be a huge resource in helping you do those very things. So we hope that you'll listen all the way through and share this information with others as well. Stay with us until the very end, and we'll tell you how you can get more information about the topics covered in today's episode and how you can connect with Tony and the BGAV. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Here's Tony. Well, I'm very thankful to have with me uh, Reverend Dan Peters. Um, Dan and I have gotten to know each other over just the last few years. So let me just tell you a little bit about his ministry. Uh, He has been a pastor since 1970. He started at Kensington Baptist Church in urban Philadelphia. Uh, He served churches as assistant, associate, and senior pastor in Maryland and Pennsylvania, uh, now serving in interim pastor work. He's been doing that in North Carolina, Florida, and here in Virginia His wife and Diane and he have been married 50 years. They have six children, 17 grandchildren, hosted seven Holy Land tours. And he's also the chaplain of Riders for the Rock, a Christian motorcycle association. And currently he is serving one of our churches in Southside at Mount Tabor Baptist in Keeling as interim pastor. And uh, one of his big hobbies, of course, is riding his Triumph Bonneville Speedmaster motorcycle around the Blue Ridge Parkway. Dan, I'm so glad that you would take this time to allow me just to have an opportunity to have a conversation about interim ministry, but welcome. Thank you, Tony. Did I miss anything on the intro? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's hard to press a 72-year life into five minutes, but yeah. Amen. You understand. (laughs) Well, again, I'm glad you're a part of this. And uh, I know interim ministry is one of those pieces that is is your passion. And uh, after being a pastor, you you went into interim ministry. And again, you're helping uh, one of my churches and have been helping quite a bit in lots of ways. And you shared with me a book that uh, Soaring Between Pastors that actually has a story in here about one of your interim experiences. So maybe that's a good place to jump off and maybe you just kind of give us a synopsis of that experience. And then we'll ask some questions about interim ministry. Well, other than Maryland, most of my ministries had been up North. So I said to my son, my grandson, I said, Andrew, I'm going down South and uh, I wonder how I'll be received down south. I was going to North Carolina. He said, Dad, you just be yourself, and they'll be surprised that a Yankee agrees with them on so much. (laughs) And that was my experience. We went from 30 years at one church in Pennsylvania uh, to a church down in North Carolina, and uh, that was a big transition for me. Uh, My associate pastor had been with me for seven years. Uh, 
I had staffed to my strengths for the first time. He's a good preacher and a good leader, and uh, he was ready. In fact, he was looking around to pass the church. So right. I didn't want to lose him. I thought that church needed him. So I got out of his way, not because I was falling apart or couldn't do it anymore, but I felt like he really needed uh, to be the next pastor. He was ready. So he took the senior pastor, and he's still there. Uh, so that was my first church I turned over to a younger man. Then I was down in North Carolina for 10 months and turned that church over to a younger man. And then I was down in uh, Florida for about a year uh, with a church full of veteran missionaries that kind of wanted to have their own church. Then I was over uh, working with my second church here in Virginia. Uh, my goal is to uh, go into a church, uh, build uh, strong personal relationships. That's the first step. And yeah. uh, to go in and just really listen to the people, love the people, uh, encourage them. So often churches are discouraged and disorganized. And, uh, and, and, and lift them up, encourage them, get to know them, listen to them, understand them, develop those relationships. The second thing I do pretty early on is, is develop uh, whatever we needs to be done in the prayer ministry. To me, that's uh, the engine of the church and uh, whatever we can do to develop the prayer ministry. Um, and, and then uh, go into passages of scripture that relate to uh, what a pastor is to really help them to form a New Testament concept of what a pastor is. Often uh, they have uh, ideas based on pastors they liked or uh, just cultural expectations. So right. I try to get them a biblical concept of what a pastor is. And then uh, help to guide them to find their next pastor and then get out of the way uh, when he gets there. Hopefully fix things that are broke, you know, whether they're in the uh, structure of the church uh, you know, sometimes you'll find a church that has deviated from its constitution. I try to bring them back in line with their documents, get them functioning under uh, whatever uh, structure they're supposed to have and so forth. And then usually when they're ready, I start a membership class. This church I'm in right now, they, they had a membership class, but they haven't had one since then. And... Uh, so when I told them I had one person interested in baptism and church membership, uh, the whole Sunday school decided to join my class. I had the biggest membership class I've ever had. Most of the members for decades, but they wanted to, you know, get back to basics. And so we did that. Good. And uh, we've seen some of them join the church that were hesitant to do so. And, and then I baptized two men yesterday. We got some more getting ready for baptism now. And that's that's an encouraging sign. That's a sign of life, and uh, so so I'm encouraged. And uh, the one problem with being an interim pastor is that you really start loving these people, and they really start loving you, and then you're gone. Right. <laughs> but we have friends in so many places now. Uh, you know, every church we're in, we develop a few lifelong friends. Right. That we keep in touch with. And uh, I think that's one of the richest parts of the experience 
is developing those genuine lifetime Christian friend experiences that enrich your life so much as you move along. I've seen so many pastors who just retire, you know, when they are done with their long-term pastorate and and then uh, don't really uh, have those kind of connections that they had as a pastor. I think it's a great way to continue those kind of situations. You know, if you're called and gifted as a pastor, uh, interim, I did two full-time interims and I've done two part-time interims now. And uh, they they all have their their blessings and advantages and disadvantages, but um, but I think developing lifetime friends has really been special. And continuing to be able to uh, to preach and to teach, people ask me, Pastor, how long did it take you to prepare that message? And I say to them, I say to them uh, what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. He said uh, 30 years and 30 minutes, you know, because yeah. <laughs> uh, I have extensive files and I use them. I use them in my preparation. I freshen it up and I relate it to current events and the current situation in the church. Right. But I don't have to go through and diagram any Greek sentences anymore. I've done that. Right. I know how to do that. And I've got records of everything I've done, all my word studies. And uh, I've found that that really not just preaching sermons, but preaching a message that God has given me for these people at this time is where uh, I think people hear God's voice and he speaks to them and something very real happens over time. Not, not, you know, it's not like one service is going to change anybody's life, but I think over time of developing a relationship with people, uh, ministry for me is, is uh, truth through relationships. That's but you've got to have the, the bridges of relationship are what you uh, drive the truck of truth across people. Right. And, uh, and that that's something that my wife, I mean, she's really good at it. Somebody said after we came to our present church, they said, we really like Dan, but his wife is an angel. <laughs> well, it's true. And she has been such a help to me. You know, prior to interim work, she was down in beginner church all Sunday morning, and I was upstairs with the adults, and most people didn't even see her. Oh, my. So now the two of us are at the door. We're there before the service. We're together, ministering together in Bible studies. And that's been a real wonderful thing. It's been able to, the two of us really minister as a team, really together. That's been a wonderful thing. Yeah. Dan, thank you. And I agree. I think uh, having a spouse who really is a partner in ministry is is significant, gives us lots of opportunities to to be a blessing um, and, to you know, really in our marriage to improve that as well as we do that together. And uh, you know what she's good at? What's she that? keeps track of who's related to who. There you go. She can somehow map these family trees in her mind. So that she knows who's related to, and all the people that aren't even there, but have been mentioned on the prayer list. You know, these prayer lists have like a a network of relationships that uh, aren't easy to comprehend when you're new to a place. That's right. She is amazing at that and such a help. Well, Dan, you've opened up several questions. One, again, I, I do agree that 
the first place to start is building those relationships and and how to do that. And you've you've given some ideas already and uh, finding someone in the church who can help you put those pieces together of who's related to whom, uh, I think is a big part of that. I know one of the pieces that I started doing uh, the last, I guess, 10 years or so um, is why I am an interim at a church. I go ahead and get the pictorial directory and I just basically <laughs> make a photocopy of every picture and every name and do flashcards, just like I was back in Hebrew or Greek and just memorize those faces and names and being able to call them by name is, is pretty significant. Uh, and that takes some time usually. So, yeah, that was the real problem in the church I'm in now. Uh, they hadn't done a pictorial directory, you know, in 20 years or more. And uh, so it wasn't any help at all. And so, you know, we've had to work without that. But in, in large, this is a smaller church. And so that was easier. But in larger churches, that is absolutely a key because otherwise you're just flying blind. Right, right. And then figuring out those relationships again, having someone in the church who has been there for a long time and would be able to help you to put together all those different family um, family trees um, can can be very significant as well. Beyond you know, that, found, go ahead. I found in some churches, a church of several hundred I was at as an interim, um, after about six months, I knew more of the people in that congregation than any of the long-term members seemed to. Mm. Yeah. They'd been all going in and out of that church for a long time, but they didn't know too many of each other there. And I, I realized, oh, you don't know that person. <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and how to get them connected, communicating, and getting to know each other, I think, is yeah. pretty significant as well. Um, you mentioned prayer, and and I agree. You know, that has to be at the heart of what we do. What are some creative, significant ways that, that you've gotten churches back into really understanding prayer ministry and what's needed? Well, the church down in North Carolina, when I went there, they had um, had a prayer meeting. The pastor led it. Uh, there were six or seven people came to it out of several hundred on Sunday mornings. And uh, he would have a devotional, and then they'd go through the long list of Ill illnesses of various people that nobody knew. A few of them that people know, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but, you know, the long right. uh, organ recital. And then and then somebody would just pray at the end mm. for all the people that God just heard who they were. So he knew, you know, what it was. And uh, and uh, so I decided we do something different. I'd done this several times before. And so I took the book of Psalms. And I found. Uh, tunes to sing the, the Psalter to. And so we began uh, singing our way through the Psalms one at a time, and uh, then uh, doing a brief uh, devotional study on that Psalm, uh, and then uh, having a prayer time related to that Psalm. We did it originally around round tables in a classroom, and, and it grew. And, uh, and then we would give them an opportunity to share personal requests with each other at the table and then whoever wanted to pray out loud could pray out loud or they could just nudge the person next to them and, and uh, you know keep nudging until somebody wants to pray out loud and uh, 
that was the most amazing thing because that prayer meeting grew. And uh, by the time I left after 10 months, we were up to about 100. The word was spread that we were having answers to prayer. We were sharing what God was doing. We were seeing answers to prayer. And uh, and the people liked uh, singing the Psalms. I arrived at a strong believer that the Psalms should not be read. They should be sung. Mm. They were not intended to be read. They were not intended to be exegeted. They were intended to be sung. Right. I believe when we sing the Psalms, we enter into a level of prayer that is very deep. We're, we're mm. praising God in the way that he has chosen to be praised. Now, we can use a lot of different terms. And I've tried it a lot of different musical uh, accompaniments of various sorts and courses and different things. But singing the Psalms on Wednesday night has been kind of something that's really worked for the groups that I've been with. That's great. Very creative. You mentioned as interim, you know, a part of the challenge is understanding, exegeting the church, not just the membership, but, oh, my goodness, constitution and bylaws, policies and procedures, and and then helping them get back to uh, <laughs> where they need to be. Um, that's pretty significant and most difficult often if they've not been following what they, you know, put down 50, 100 years before. Um, well, one church had been taught by their previous pastor that uh, they didn't need a constitution or bylaws. They should just go by the Bible, mm. which actually meant going by him as the senior pastor. Right. What it meant, in my opinion. And so he he basically swept that all away. And uh, and then so it was just him. He, did, he didn't want deacons meetings or congregational meetings. And yet it was still a Baptist church. And I don't believe that that is what Baptist polity is. I believe that essentially, biblically, the congregation is the human leader of the church under the word of God, by the spirit of God. Right. That the deacons are servants uh, of the Lord and of the congregation. And that 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 way should function with deacons meetings, with Deacons going on and off the deacon board and all of that. And they had just not done any of that for years. And I said, how about if we just, you know, get real creative here and go by the rules? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, go by the book. Let's do it. You know, either that or change it. My belief is you either go by the Constitution bylaws or you or you change it, because um, otherwise it's just some person's ideas. Right. Definitely. Biblical or unbiblical that they may be. And so that's one thing I always do when I go into a church is I really study what it should be. And then I look for whether it is or not. Right. Right. And guide them into that. And that because I would hope that the new pastor wouldn't have to deal with that. Right. I can deal with it. I can do some things as an interim that the the new pastor would have to really spend his leadership capital on that I'd rather he wouldn't have to. I'll spend mine on it, and I ride off into the sunset, and then hopefully things are done decently and in order so that he can step in and have his unique uh, spiritual ministry for those people. Dan, that's a good word. I, I know that's another piece that, to me, is very significant. And our role as interim pastors is 
to prepare this congregation for what God's going to do and bringing the next pastor, um, not just waiting for the next pastor to show up, but dealing with any issues that might be going on, whether it's constitution bylaws or ministries that are not working that uh, probably need to die in order that God can bring new life somewhere else. Um, you know, whatever the issues might be, that that's a, that's a good word that uh, really the interim, if, if they are doing their job really should help that congregation deal with the elephants in the room, whatever those might be. Uh, and well, one of them was uh, the whole idea that as interim, I don't want uh, anything to bleed when I leave. Mm. So uh, there was a man and a woman teaching Sunday school and, uh, and, and well, uh, rather the previous pastor had just taught the Sunday school. And that would have been the easiest thing for me to do is just come in and say, I'm teaching Sunday school because right. I'm a good teacher. But no, I encouraged the two of them to continue. And I've tried to encourage them, help them, guide them. My wife has two ladies. And so that they don't have to replace their Sunday school teachers when they replace me. OK, right. they'll right. have them. And then uh, some of the men wanted to start something. The WMU is going really well, but the men didn't have anything. So there's a man, I just baptized him yesterday, actually. And uh, he stepped forward as organizing a men's missions ministry in the church. And uh, But that'll continue without me. And they've already had, I had to be somewhere else. So they had their meeting without me. You know, I don't feel like I have to be running everything myself, even though it's a small church. Right. I want them to be strengthened and encouraged and helped so that when I'm gone, uh, nothing will be really damaged. They can just get a new pastor and they will already be functioning in their jobs in the church. Right, right. So a new someone, you know, just retired as pastor or some other staff position and they really feel called to want to be an interim pastor. Uh, you've given me kind of the nuts and bolts or here are the things, build relationships the different things, prayer ministry. Um, what other advice would you give them? To the potential interim pastor. Right. And I'd really rather give advice to a church as to why they need an interim pastor. Because Let's go there. Churches think they need an interim pastor. But if they've had a pastor for 30 years that they liked and he retired, the next pastor is going to be an interim pastor, whether they intend it to be so or not. Right. Because they're getting a new daddy in the family. And that's a tough role to fill, no matter who you are. And uh, I think it's so much better to have uh, an intentional interim pastor rather than an accidental interim pastor, which damages the church, I think, when the next guy isn't the last guy, so we get rid of him. Well, so I think churches need to really wise up on that and uh, make use of seasoned, experienced, uh, older men to be an interim, to kind of hold things together, encourage everybody until they can get a younger person than him, who may very well be like me in my 70s. Right. Uh, I don't have that many miles left on me. I'm getting a few bald spots and, you know, I'm getting some some threads showing on the tread. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, they're not going to be a lot more miles out of me, but 
I can help churches uh, to prepare for hopefully a longer term. Yeah. When I say younger, he might be 50. He might be. Right, right. Yeah, you're right. And and again, I wholeheartedly agreed with what you just said. Um, But not just those that, you know, churches that have lost a pastor after 30 years, but those who've been going through conflict uh, and the pastor's forced out or um, those that the pastor suddenly has a major illness and has to, you know, resign long before he wants to, when there's any type of imbalance in the system, um, there needs to be time to grieve, bottom line, right? Yeah, I think that churches grieve more than they think they will. They think they're going to solve it by finding another pastor quick. Well, that's like trying to solve your grief over your spouse by finding another spouse. Yeah. Uh, that's not fair to the new spouse, and uh, it's not fair to you. So you need some time. And uh, I think uh, an experienced interim can really give you the time to work through the emotions and really prepare for uh, the next pastor. I agree. So, Dan, let's just move from there to, all right, what about the handoff? We got the new pastor coming, and you've served for a year, year and a half as interim pastor. How do you help prepare that new pastor taking over? Well, again, I, I've never met any that really wanted to be prepared by me. Yeah. <laughs> they all think they already know everything they need to know. Right. That's the wonderful thing about young pastors. They really do know uh, everything they think they need to know. Yeah. I, was, I, I was that. I represent that. I, I totally Maybe a better word is how do you help <laughs> the church prepare as yeah. you transition out and the new pastor is yeah. coming in? Well, I told the deacon board in the one church, I said to them, they, they had a pretty good deacon board. I guess it was 18 of them or something. I don't know. And uh, I sat there with them and I said, here's here's what I'm going to suggest that you do. I want to make it real simple. You need to be the new pastor's disciples. Jesus mm-hmm. had his 12 guys. Right. You need to be his disciples. When he has... When he has an evangelistic outreach, you're there. When he has a prayer meeting, you're there. You're there. And you're doing whatever he wants you to do because you're his guides. You're his disciples, men or women. Okay. You're, you're his people. That's a better way to say it. Right. And, and you, you, you're not there to counterbalance his authority. You're not there to somehow be... Uh, the opposing political party here, right? Okay, you are here to uh, to be his people and to follow his lead as long as he's following Christ, right? And uh, it's not your job to to counter his authority; it's your job to follow him as he follows Christ. And if you, in a united way, will follow your new pastor. And if you've got a problem with him, talk to him privately about it. Talk to him. Talk to him. Don't talk about him. Talk to him. Right. And but be be his be very clearly with a congregation that can see that these deacons are on board with the pastor, his agenda, his outreach, 
what he thinks is important. They're right there with him. And I said, that will bring the whole congregation along with you. And you will have a united, forward-moving church. Hmm. Good. Any other thoughts, comments, what it's been like uh, through the pandemic as an interim and dealing with some of the issues? I know the senior pastors have the, the same issue, but, you know, been dealing with the same challenges. But interim, you do have a kind of a little bit more freedom, I guess, to kind of jump in there. Um, like you said, you're right. Freedom, freedom is a word that describes the interim ministry as opposed to being the pastor, uh, because um, I don't really understand why. Uh, but you don't, you don't have as much skin in the game, right? I don't know yeah. how to say that, but yeah. you don't, That's and right. so, so you feel like you can. Pretty much just uh, tell them the way it is in a loving and kind way. You can kind of say, you know, I've been telling this church I'm in. They don't have they don't have Wi-Fi. They don't yes. have cell coverage. So I've been trying to tell them. I say, you know, that's gonna. A lot of pastors aren't gonna like that. You're right. <laughs> I said, and if you find one that really likes it, he might not be that good of a guy because he might be looking. To get off the grid. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, you're right. I know we've talked about that. I've, we've, we've got some areas where uh, Wi-Fi is now being available, but churches that have not had it are kind of slow to buy in. But I think that's significant. Like you said, any young pastor, um, they spend a good bit of time doing their research Um commentary work, whatever, online, and you've got to have good Wi-Fi. And again, I'm preaching to the choir here. My pastors know, uh, as you know, that I think you have to be able to have an online presence now. I just think that's significant. That's how we do visitation now. Yeah. We do visitation with Facebook. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's part of it. Um, that's a good word. Again, I appreciate your time. Any other comments, thoughts? That, well, just quickly, I know you wrote at least one book. I remember um, reading it in your story, uh, The Wonderful Counselor. Yeah, it's just a, uh, it's for the church. It's to help uh, people in churches know how to minister to one another. Okay. So it's a study of how God himself counseled people uh, as recorded in scripture. And it's done in a workbook form for a Bible study. So it's, it's, uh, it's for the church. It's not for seminarians or Bible college students. It's for the church and uh, just kind of a culmination looking at God as the wonderful counselor and, how did he counsel? So if, if a lay person wanted to get a copy, where would they go? Well, it's on Amazon. It's called 16 Counseling Sessions with the Wonderful Counselor. Oh, good. Long title, because there were already a bunch of books called Wonderful Counselor. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah. Dan Peters. Yeah. Dan, yeah. thank you. Yeah. 
Appreciate it. Oh yeah. Look, (laughs) Uh, I I think anytime you've spent some time investing in writing and God gives you something, it's good for others to know about it. Um, And they may be able to be blessed because of that. And that's, that's what it's about. If, if um, again, whether it's a church or whether it's uh, someone looking to be an interim pastor uh, and they hear this podcast, how would you want them to contact you? They can call me on the telephone. I'll give you my telephone number. Okay. All right. 610-608-3162. That's my cell number. Dan, thank you. I always ask. I don't want to just assume <laughs> when it comes to contact information, but I do appreciate this time. And uh, I will let you know as soon as uh, we get this up and um, and uh, just thank you for this time. Really appreciate it. And, thank you, Tony. And, you know, how much I appreciate you. So God bless uh, you. Thanks. Hey, we hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and that you found something that you can put in use today for your ministry context. If you'd like more information about any of the topics that we've covered, the Baptist General Association, or maybe you have questions, you can reach out to Tony by email at tony.brooks at bgav.org. You can also check out the BGAV website, bgav.org. Thanks for listening today. And if you like this show, please leave us a comment or post a review. And make sure to catch our next episode of New Wineskins, where we discuss fresh perspectives for the local church in the 21st century.